Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast for those living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, leadership coach, creative consultant, and speaker. I coach soulful visionaries and go-getting mavericks who desire to create art of their lives and take their work both deeper and higher. In this show, I'll be bringing you an overflow of conversations with my favorite thought leaders, teachers, healers, and creatives who inspire me to live more fully in my own power, worth, and wholeness, along with offering some episodes where I share my own practical insights, behind-the-scenes peeks into my process, and tools I use on my own journey. There will not be much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Therefore, you can expect me to ask the uncomfortable, juicy questions. You can expect that you'll hear people you disagree with on the podcast and maybe even ideas you've never previously considered. I trust you with your own discernment as we take this deep dive. You can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and be challenged by the guests as they share their diverse experiences and views of the world. It's my hope through learning to see that all of it belongs that you will develop a more sovereign way of holding yourself so you can playfully go after the life, relationships, and career you are made for, to let all parts of yourself have a seat at the table, to lead and create from your deepest truth, and become your own source of validation, all because you finally know you're worthy of it. All that's required to get started, that you show up curious and willing. Let's dive in. Today, I have an amazing interview with Bethany Webster for you all about healing from the mother wound and reclaiming our own inner mother. But before we dive into the actual podcast episode, I want to share with you about a free mini course that I'm offering right now to help you actually take everything that we talked about in this episode today and actually start peeling back the layers of paradigms and old stories that are keeping you from your own inner liberation. If you are someone who's feeling yourself getting too big for the current story that you're living, too big for the current paradigms that you're operating from, it is time to untether from old programming, to strip back those outdated programs, to let go of old identities and choose a story with more hope and freedom and truth where actually all of you gets to have a seat at the table. And so my free mini course named Stripped was specifically designed to help you remember, rewrite and reclaim all that you have forgotten, lost, and resigned along the way, your power, your liberation, your sacred self-belonging. So over the next month, if you sign up for Stripped, I'm going to be sending you an email every five days with a mini audio course, with journaling prompts, and then an opportunity to actually jump into community with me on Facebook and share about your experience. We are going to be talking about why you may have disconnected from your true essence and what identities you are currently living from that are no longer relevant for you. We're going to be talking about how the stories and adaptive strategies that you've adopted along the way actually keep you from freedom, but also can be your greatest allies in reconnecting to your power. We're going to talk about what to do to begin remembering, rewriting, and reclaiming your story and then actually live from your most authentic, creative, and powerful self. And then the final week, the first week in March, we are going to do a community gathering in the Awakening to Freedom workshop with a three-day implementation week where you're going to be given practical steps and tools to be applying this to your life in real time. So we're going to meet on Zoom, have an amazing workshop, and then together over those three days, really live into it. So you can go to awakenhersoul.com 
backslash stripped if you want to get access. And if you're listening on any device, you can click in the show notes and it'll take you right to the website to sign up. I am so excited to be on this journey with you doing this because this conversation today with Bethany talks about the mother wound and some of the reasons we are living from the mother wound, which includes the patriarchy, includes false identities that we adopted so young. So if this podcast interview today lands with you, please sign up to Stripped and get the free support that can help you start peeling back those layers and reclaiming your liberation. Now let's talk about Bethany. She is so incredible. She is a writer, an international speaker, and transformational coach. She started blogging in 2013 about the mother wound, which she's going to share about in the episode today, and quickly experienced a worldwide demand for her work. I personally found her and have just been sending her articles and podcasts to my clients ever since. Through blending research on intergenerational trauma, feminist theory, and psychology with her own personal story, Bethany's work is the result of decades of research and her own journey of healing. Bethany speaks, consults, and mentors around the world, sharing her growing body of work that is raising the standard of women's leadership and personal development. So in this episode, I went all in with Bethany, and I wanted to hear really her personal journey about the mother wound, how she came by this work, because as someone personally who has no contact with my mother, I know that we don't come by our work simply by accident. We come by it because we needed it and we come by it because we are passionate about it. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what the mother wound is, how we are indoctrinated into the patriarchy with our mother being the person who is our first introduction to the patriarchy why we must reclaim tenderness and fierceness if we want to really remother ourselves. I'll share a little bit about going no contact with my mother on my own journey healing and reclaiming my sovereignty. We'll talk about reworking the landscape of our own attachment through long-term healthy relationships. Why culturally talking about the mother wound is super taboo and how to not shame mothers and our mothers while also acknowledging the harm that is done in mother-daughter relationships. We'll talk about anger, we'll talk about patriarchy, we'll talk about sovereignty, self-validation, and how to move beyond the infantilized child to reclaim our own emotional maturity or what Bethany calls the inner mother. So, oh my God, I have chills even thinking about you tuning into this and listening to this podcast please tag me on social media or write a review after listening to this and let me know what was your biggest takeaway? What was your biggest aha moment listening to this? I know this conversation with Bethany will be one I return to personally over and over, and I really want to hear from you what stands out to you the most. Let's dive in. Bethany, I am honored to have you on the podcast today. Your work has been really life-changing for me. I first heard you on the Zero Health podcast with my friend Kylie and so many parallels. And that was long before the podcast was ever an idea in my mind. And it's just a big honor to have you, all of that to say. Really happy. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I appreciate you inviting me to be part of this. Yes. So, I have the title of your book written here, which just came out when this airs, it'll be a couple months, but it just came out. It's called discovering the inner mother, a guide to healing the mother wound and claiming your personal power. And my audience certainly knows we talk about 
our mother-daughter dynamics quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for you, since this has been something you've spent years learning about and teaching about and coaching people through, how do you define the mother wound? And how did even you come to this conclusion that this was something you really wanted to talk about in your work? Yeah. Um, Let's see. I started talking about this, I think it was in 2013, and nobody was really talking about the mother wound at that time. I had only just, I had gone through a big thing with my own mother um, after being in therapy for about 10 years and kind of working up to it. Um, My pattern with my mother was that I was more of like a parentified daughter. So I was kind of like her emotional supporter from a very young age. So I had to grow up really quick. I thought I had a great family life. Um, until I was in college, like I was 19 and I started having these symptoms like panic attacks and anxiety and depression. So that started me. And I also got, um, I also got pregnant by accident. I had an abortion as well. So that put me on this path of, I got to figure myself out and what I'm doing. Um, but initially I was so terrified (laughs) of looking at my relationship with my mother because I knew how much she depended on me. I knew how fragile things were. And I just was hoping that I could become, kind of overcome it without having to look at it too deeply. Um, But eventually I did. I had a really good therapist and started exploring this and seeing huge shifts in my life. And I worked up enough strength and courage to actually confront my mother about it and try to talk about my relationship with her in the spirit of trying to kind of have a new kind of relationship that was not based on one up, one down, me in the kind of servitude role, but more of like kind of a peer, you know, more of like a mutually supportive dynamic. And unfortunately, long story short, um, it kind of blew up. And my mom just revealed that she wasn't willing to work with me in that. So I, our relationship actually um, ended and it was extremely painful. It was the most extremely painful thing I've ever endured Because no matter how much I could, no matter how much I explained myself or tried to reassure her that my intentions were good and um, it just, she perceived it as an attack and a betrayal. Um, And what I was trying to do, you know, years later realized was like trying to shift that dynamic from like a power over into a power with. And in my mom's paradigm that she grew up in, parents always have more power than the children. And she had very little power in her own life in many ways. And so I think it was so threatening to her identity that I wanted to kind of evolve in my own identity and and shift things in the relationship. But through that process, which was so extremely painful, I had so many insights about how the mother-daughter relationship explains a lot. Um, Because as I went through that healing journey, Uh, It was like an initiation. It was so profound. Um, But yeah, as I went through that, I had so many insights. Like I started to feel like I finally landed in my body. I started to feel like, wow, I felt more connected with life. Like I had gone through some kind of deep thing. And, but I wasn't seeing anyone talk about the mother wound. I looked around and (laughs) I was looking at workshops and books and I was really hungry and passionate to find people because I talking about this, because I saw it, there's like this missing link. And so this got me really excited about blogging because I had been doing, I'm a really strong journaler. So I journal like daily and have reams and reams of journals just, um, and so I was like, well, why don't I start a blog? 
Um, and I was terrified, honestly. I was like, oh shit, you know, um, people are going to hate me for this. I probably get a lot of hate mail, but I didn't care. I was just like, I just need to talk about this. So I started talking about it and almost immediately women would write me from all over the world, actually more women from like even in Europe, especially people saying, thank you so much for talking about this. Like I'm dealing with this too. And I don't know who to talk about it. You know, can you develop a course? People actually started saying, can you, can you make a course or coach me? So I was like, wow. Um, so I did, I developed a coaching program. I, I developed my theory of what the mother wound is. And um, at that time, no one had really defined it. So um, and I think it was 2013 when I wrote an article because um, I, I had actually watched, it was like a video of a, a women's conference and women were talking about their issues around owning power and sexual power and how do we step into who we really are. And the whole time I'm thinking it's the mother wound, but they were talking about all these other things. And it, it actually got me a little angry. I was like, oh my God, I want women to understand this because I started to see women misattributing a lot of their symptoms and issues to other things and spending years on this kind of treadmill of self-improvement, but always landing back in this place of self-blame and shame. So that was really what spurred me to write that article. I was like, I'm going to really line it out and make it super clear. And initially, there wasn't that much like sharing, like in the first maybe 12 hours. But I remember waking up the next day and it was like 20,000 shares or something on Facebook. This was like 2014, I think. And um, I was like, oh my God, okay, people do want to talk about mother-daughter relationships. Um, so that's kind of a long story short, but um, how I define it is actually that there's four levels of the mother wound. There's personal, cultural, spiritual, and planetary. And the personal um, is really like the most important because as we heal our personal mother wound, we has these ripple effects that start to go into you know, the culture. And, and also I think part of it is creating this evolutionary leap for humanity where we start to see that, well, there's a lot of different puzzle pieces to it. But um, one is like for me, when I went through that with my mother, the pain was so much that I felt my heart breaking. And in the breaking process, I could feel myself expand in a way. Like I started to have more compassion for myself, for all people. It was almost a spiritual kind of opening through being conscious through that painful process. Um, so I think that there's that's, that's the spiritual component there that I just mentioned, which is feeling more connected with life itself, with, with other people, with the planet, with animals and all the kingdoms of creation is starting to feel that we're actually all connected um, through the heart, but we have developed through birth and, and the, you know, enculturation of living in a patriarchy, all these layers that say, you know, whether through family trauma or just cultural reinforcement that women are less than, that we're not, you know, if, you know, that we're supposed to be pleasing and quiet and not rock the boat, put our needs last. Like we get so many messages like this that really shame us. So we get the shame message from the culture. We get it from whatever trauma we've inherited and as women. So it's like a compounding shame situation and mothers, you know, on one hand, mothers have that shame of 
being a mother is so much work. It's impossible by the standards that modern society has. And then daughters feel shame because there's no place for us to put our own feelings about our own mothers if there's stress or tension or ambivalence there. So it kind of sets mothers and daughters up for this really a struggle, a lot of tension. And we don't have a place to put it, to talk about it. Um, And it's a place that we tend to hide our power and we're, we're afraid. We can be afraid to really step into who we are because of the, the mother, you know, our own mother's suffering and the, what she's projected onto us. And then also the cultural um, barriers that we experience. So it's, as you can see, um, I could talk forever about this. There's so many layers and interlocking pieces to it, but it's so fascinating. I think now is a time where a lot of us are like ready to, to heal this. Um. Oh my goodness. You, you just said so many things that I know is true from my personal experience, but I see over and over again in client work and in my programs is a, a realization of a fracture in the mother relationship mm-hmm. and also our relationship to the patriarchy. And this isn't a quote that you've said, but I think I remember you talking about how our mother is the first introduction to the patriarchy. Is yeah. that True. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Let me say it a little more detailed because, yeah, you've got the idea, but it's basically, I like to say that the mother wound is the seat of our most debilitating and insidious self-limiting beliefs and patterns, right? The reason why the most insidious forms of patriarchy pass through the mother and why this has been so taboo is because our mother's in the first moments of our lives are the most primary being because we rely on her for food. Like mother is food. Mother is world. Mother is body. Like we're not even separate from our mothers when we come into the planet, we are one with her. And so we, she forms like the basis of our thoughts, our beliefs over time. We, she like, she's in our fabric, you know, she's in our blood and our, and our nervous systems. Um, And so we absorb like a sponge, her spoken and unspoken, you know, beliefs and feelings and tensions. And then in a, in a, due to the fact that we live in a patriarchal culture, naturally that includes, you know, what she feels about her own body as a woman and what she feels like is possible for us. And so I call it the maternal horizon. Like there's this, this horizon, this barrier where our mother has gone and it feels scary to go beyond that maternal horizon. So we, we accept as reality, like with the capital R, <laughs> you know, what our mothers believe and think and do. And that's just how development, early development works. Um, it only becomes a problem when we're talking about these limiting beliefs, like don't rock the boat, put others' needs last. I mean, your needs last. Um, a good woman is a submissive woman. She might not have ever said any of that overtly, but we watch her, we watched her struggles. And so we weave those, I call them safety algorithms, but like the ways in which it's safe to to be in the world, it's actually woven into our sense of self. So it's not just like a cognitive belief that we can shed, you know, we're bonded. We bond with these beliefs just as much as we bond with her. And that's why sometimes as women, it can feel like if I let go of these beliefs, am I letting go of mother? Am I letting go of my most visceral safety? That's why some of these beliefs that we get from our mothers are so automatic, invisible, 
and um, unconscious that they actually letting go of them can feel like, like life or death. And um, so making them conscious is why it's so important. And, and it becomes insidious because the, the culture says you shouldn't look at your relationship with your mother. If you feel anything but gratitude, there's something wrong with you. Um, so that's where the problem is, is that we don't look at it. And so there's this shadow where a lot of these, um, this bonding to our own oppression festers. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. Okay. <laughs> and just even understanding human development and how much we need our mothers for our own survival, it would make sense that we would internalize everything that she needed and was doing and believed to make sure that that bond was secure. Exactly. And our relationship with our mothers is like, we needed her approval to survive. So it wasn't like we just wanted to please her. It's like her, her, her approval equals survival. And so if there's ways in which, you know, I think as women, we feel like our, it's true. Like some of us do, many of us do, even at subtle levels feel like, I need to be approved of to be good. I need to be approved of to be safe. So we're still prioritizing the external because that safety algorithm is still working. And so we have to kind of rework that where the safety is within ourselves, right? Not predicated out there. Like I said, um, I was talking last night and I put it a different way. I'm always finding new ways to say this, but it's like, um, the mother wound in a way is like how our love, safety, and belonging, like our most primal human needs, become predicated on compliance with patriarchal norms. I was kind of talking about this like in the sense of racism, like, and other beliefs. You know, if if our family was, let's just say hypothetically, they were overtly racist, that shared belief is part of the bond. And that's part of family. That's what we consider, you know, it's mixed in that soup of love, safety, and belonging. So it can represent a threat when we, when we go on a path of I'm going to be anti-racist and I'm going to do the work that it takes that my family hasn't done. I'm going to break this pattern in my family and in myself. It can actually bring up a potential conflict in your family. It can bring up feelings of, am I going to be approved of and safe in my family if I start doing this work? Um, so that's one example of how, these are not just beliefs. These are our safety, our very basic safety. But it's possible to kind of rework this so that, and I think it's necessary at this time when, oh my gosh, what we're seeing in the world, that we have to be the cycle disruptors, the pattern disruptors, and clear the way for the future. It's so urgent. I'm so thankful you mentioned how the mother wound connects to our anti-racism work because there are a lot of the people who listen to this podcast have come from evangelical Christianity, not all, but mm-hmm. a lot of people, because I did. So my story resonates and, yeah, and sure. so on. And when people divest from that system, right. What I really notice is if they're, if they're willing to go all the way and deconstructing that and asking where, where's the patriarchy inside the church? Where's racism inside the church? It kind of permeates. You start to see all of it. But in order to do that, there has to be such a willingness to leave the family system. Just like in any family system, if you're going to stop triangulating with 
your mother, which was a boundary I had to choose to make before going no contact of, I won't participate in this because it actually, it isn't liberatory. I can't know anyone else in the family if we're in this dynamic. I can't know myself separate from this dynamic, right? And Mm -hmm. the amount of being sourced from within and sovereignty, which I know you recently wrote an article about, and when I want to talk about that, it's so important because in order to be able to divest from the family system and do work like anti-racism work, there has to be a bolstering of the sense of sovereignty that you're going to be okay, even if yeah. mother isn't happy with you. Yeah. And that can take some work to do to get there. I know it took me like maybe five plus years in therapy just to get to a place where I was ready to confront, um, to confront those things. I don't, and that's part of my passion is I don't want it to take other women as long as it took me um, to, to kind of, you know, so it's part of building a sisterhood around the world where we start to feel like we're not alone. A lot of us are breaking these cycles in our families and we can support one another in doing it. Cause it's like, what we're doing is we're transferring the sense of safety from one system to another so like, I like to talk, I talk about it a bit in terms of the inner mother, like our outer mother, many of us have this bond where she's still primary. So we have to kind of create an inner mother who can meet our needs, who can validate us abundantly, you know, and, and, and then over time when that little girl inside of us feels a certain degree of safety and it takes everybody a little bit of different, you know, it's different for everyone, but eventually we can dissolve some of that attachment to our mother changing, seeing us, agreeing with us, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's such a powerful, it's such a powerful process. And um, I'm so excited to hear that so many women in your community are, are doing this work. It is, I think when we were just saying about the more and more women, I think of like, I just imagine like the quantum field of like one woman making this choice, you making this choice, however many years ago and the ripple effect of that, even in the unconscious, even in, I just, I like to think of the quantum field of like the reverberations of that. Even if I never knew you, I think make a difference, not just in our own family system, but And then also we have social media and we have podcasts like this where we get to hear about other people doing this work. And I think just seeing that it's possible that there is a system beyond the patriarchy, that there is a system beyond power over family dynamics, that we we can find the freedom to live there. Just to me, that feels so exciting because it's like more and more and more people are choosing it. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about sovereignty. Sure. I wanted to ask you about sovereignty because that is a big part of what we're doing whenever, to me, when we're reclaiming the inner mother is saying, mm-hmm. I am sovereign. And you, I'm going to read, you have a, a title of an article on your website. It says, what is sovereignty? 13 elements. And you share that you have to claim your own inner authority is valid to be sourced from within. And I'm curious in your journey to discovering your inner mother, what are some things that you felt were vital in that process that you had to reclaim? Yeah, I think one of the things that was most empowering for me to claim that initially I was afraid of doing um, was, was reclaiming my anger. Um, Like 
I like to talk about how inner mothering has two parts or the two wings are tenderness and, and fierceness. And I had the tenderness down in the terms of, you know, I was conditioned to be a good girl, pleasing, approval seeking. Um, so my love, it's almost like I was such a loving being. I remember being a little girl and feeling like I was this just love bomb, you know, but then over time, I accumulated all this residue and the residue made it so that loving actually meant a loss of self. Loving meant being exploited. Uh, Loving meant um, being an object. So it's been this process of in order to shed those overlays to reclaim love as not being also being oppressed. Um, it meant claiming anger and allowing myself to get really angry about what happened to me, how I was exploited, objectified, um, didn't have a voice, that I was in a servitude role. Um, So over time, the layers of anger, actually, I used to be afraid of anger, like, oh my God, it's going to, okay, it could last forever. It's going to overtake me. Um, This makes me a bad person. You know, all these old part of the overlay, Um, but what I found was that anger actually, instead of taking energy away, it gave me energy. It was, it was like, instead of turning anger about myself, I had blamed myself. I was able to turn that anger where it really belonged, which was towards, um, the, the, um, ignorance of my parents, this, uh, the culture, uh, people that were supposed to support me that didn't support me. I was able to actually digest some of that rage that had and see it as a healthy response like anger is a healthy emotion and so many of us grew up and have grown up in families that say anything other than gratitude and love is bad and you're weak or bad if you feel anything else right so I think part of sovereignty is claiming that anger and what part of what I had to do to do that was to really work with my inner child and say to her tell me everything you're angry about I want to hear it all like you know, tell me all about your anger and let's, let's work it out. And just, I realized that the, the child in me that was so full of rage just had never been heard. She had never really been heard. And so by making space for that, there was all this energy and lightness that, that came in and it started to, and I see this with the women I work with too, we have to go back to go forward. So I had to kind of look at the lens of my childhood differently. Instead of the narrative my parents had, which was we tried our best. If you feel anything other than gratitude, there's something wrong with you. I started to actually own my story of what it was like for me to grow up in that household and what a hell it was. And I started to have compassion and empathy for this little girl that I was. And as through I through that grieving process, the rage came too. I started to feel rage on behalf of myself. And that was a form of kind of self-validation, self, like not needing them to understand me anymore. It was like I started to prioritize my own narrative of what was true for me, what my experience was. And that was part of sovereignty as well. It's like I get to own my story. I don't have to elevate the parent's story, which is what the society does, right? The child remains voiceless. The parent is still in power and the pain continues to the next generation. So I had to be willing to get really radical and bold. And my therapist was extremely helpful in that. 
had a very, uh, very feminist therapist who was really amazing. I still work with her. And so it was like, yeah, owning my own narrative, feeling the anger and the anger actually on behalf of little Bethany in that metabolizing process allowed me to be really fierce in the present. Like it was that rage included love for myself. So it was like redefining love in a way that love includes anger on, you know, when a, when a boundary is violated or when your a voice is taken away, I started to sense the injustice I incurred and, and looking at my life thinking I'm going to tighten up my boundaries, like really tighten them up. I am not obligated. You know, no one's, no one's entitled to my time, my energy, my resources. Like I choose, I select who gets my time. I'm the authority of my story. I think one of the hardest things was my mother and, um, you know, they accepting that she has a limited capacity. It's actually not personal what happened. She just doesn't have the capacity to understand. So that was a powerful place to get to because then I could say, I could let it be that she'll never understand. She'll never get me. Her capacity is so limited that she must see me as an, you know, a betrayer and um, feel a victim of me. There's her capacity is so limited. She cannot conceptualize of any other narrative. So that was, I think, one of the most powerful things that I step into continuously is allowing people to have their misconceptions, allowing them to have their misunderstandings, and staying rooted in what is my truth, and that that's valid no matter what the outside, what the outside does. So I think the anger, getting in touch with anger is actually part of getting in touch with truth. And we're living in this time where I think more people are hungry for the truth. And so letting truth be my guide. You know, I think we're seeing this politically as well. It's like we're entering this era of truth and integrity. Um, and I just one more point, because I know this is getting to be a long answer to your question, but um, right now in the political situation, it's like you see it on the political stage, people saying, well, just accept that the insurrection happened. We don't have to deal with it. Then the other side is saying, but we can't have unity without accountability. And I think that phrase, you can't have unity without accountability, is true for us personally. And that accountability means truth. So we have to get in touch with what's real and what's true for us. And our families and our culture have forced us to kind of build a barrier with truth. Like, it wasn't safe to be honest. It wasn't safe to be true, especially as a woman. But now our our hunger for the truth is getting stronger than our hunger for approval. And so that's becoming our guiding light right now. That's what I see like our generation is doing is like rooting into the truth is the most important thing, because how can we live without the truth? How can we be truly happy without the truth? Because we've seen the devastation that the lies and the manipulation create. And a lot of the past generations suppression was love. You know, people that was viewed like if you didn't talk about the pain, the abuse, the addictions, if you kept all that under the rug, that was a form of loving your family. And that value, I think, is shifting radically now. I could not agree more. And I definitely come from one of those families that mm-hmm. you just you really shouldn't be talking about this. Why are you holding me to who I used to be source of things? And 
what came up for me as you were talking is the infantilized woman. That's what I kept thinking yeah. of. The infantilized woman is naive. The infantilized woman cannot access her anger. The infantilized mm-hmm. woman believes she is an object for other people's right. desires. And this initiation into being a woman, being our own mother, and then actually being able to relate to our mothers as people. Because it seems that when we're infantilized, we still need our mothers to mother us in this way, like we are children and the the dynamic. And I guess I'm curious how in your research, the patriarchy plays into that because I know the patriarchy wants infantilized women who don't have access to discernment, doesn't have access to their power or the truth because they're easy to manipulate someone who can't discern the truth Mm -hmm. for themselves. Exactly. Exactly. It's very threatening to the status quo because everything's baked, like our subjugation is baked into everything. And it has been for thousands of years. So um, like all systems, they systems want like the status quo, a homeostasis, right? And this is true of families, it's true of organizations, it's true of political systems. If someone rocks the boat and doesn't do the thing that they did that kept everything working, the system gets, there's turbulence that's created. And so, but in order to move things to the next level, right, we need to disrupt what's happening. So we're in a flux. Um, I think everything, we're feeling it. We're in a flux all over the place. Um, So it's about more numbers of us rejecting, like you said, this infantilized role and becoming sovereign, accessing our power. And this is what I've seen with the, the work that I do with my clients and students is women automatically become leaders, even if they're not searching for it in a way like um, you start to get more access to your voice, to you have a lower tolerance for toxicity. Um, There's a passion and a creative kind of energy that comes on. So it's like the women I see, they either walking away from relationships or transforming them inside, you know, doing motherhood differently or doing a career differently and with new rules in a new way. Um, so this, this work is really the, the shedding those layers of patriarchy and trauma that we've accumulated. And then the true self, that's really the goal of all this is eventually and with, with time. And for most of us, this is a lifelong journey. So, but with each layer we take off, we get more access to that truth, to that source inside, which doesn't go by any rules. And we need that kind of unstoppable power that we all share. So um, it's perfect. I think everything's lining up just like personally, but also collectively, we're ready for, for more of this. And now that things are in flux, we can really create new paths, right? When things are up in the air, it's easier for new things to happen. So all of this makes me so excited because I, I think we have a a similar mind and systematic thinking of how the personal impacts the global, the systemic. And I, I host a nine-month mastermind called Rising Sovereign. And so these are the these are the very topics out in there. And we're very mm-hmm. fresh on this exact topic and this week in particular. And oh, cool. so what's really fresh for me, yeah, is getting their feedback this week that cool. to become the mother to become the your own mother and to be initiated into true womanhood beyond the infantilized little girl there's fear around belonging that comes up with other yeah. women so i'm curious in your work in your personal life how you have navigated 
other men's reaction to you because we are also trained to keep each other in line. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think the most important thing that's helped me is to have a strong relationship with a woman who has her own secure attachment and who, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I have, I would not be here where I am without being in therapy for 23 years with a long-term depth psychotherapist. So I've reworked the landscape of my attachment wound over so many years and I will I'll probably work with her until I die or until she does. Um, but it's like, I, I needed her, like she was so different from my mother and I met her very young. Um, and, and so she d- didn't need anything from me. She just was there to support me in this kind of mothering maternal role. But also she taught me to be fierce. She taught, she didn't reject me for the things that my mother rejected me from uh, for. So I started to, it was through that bond with her, honestly, um, that I was able to actually see things much differently, like things I would accept in friendships. Like I think when I was younger, I had a lot of fair weather friends and that would just kind of come in and go. And, and I, you know, and it's sad because, you know, it's, it's about accepting that some people have a limited capacity and people, a lot of the, a lot of the ways that people treat us are not personal and having really high standards Um, And I think it's just for us as women, it's like our mothers taught us about women, right? Like the, how she treated us, taught us what's acceptable and what's okay in relationships. And like, my mother was very much gossipy, catty, not deep. And I was deep from really young. So it's like, there was so much not there, Um, but I wanted to please her so much. So I think I brought that pleasing uh, role into all my friendships and accepted a lot of um, like disrespectful stuff too. So it was just, it's just been this process I think of, and I think we're all on that journey, wherever we are, like seeing what doesn't work for us in friendships and continuously raising the standard of what works for you. And you don't have to have a ton of close friends. Like right now I have a very small circle, but I have a lot of people that I, I like I'm in contact with, not super deep, but my deep people are really close and tight. And it's like, you don't starting, well, so many things I could say, but it's like, people need to earn the intimacy with you, you know? And I think as women, that's a, that's like a growing edge, right? Like we're so taught to be open and giving and, um, and that if we're like, if we take our time in relationships, then we're either a prude or we're like not cool or, but I think the, well, this is my experience. The people who are deep that I want to be with understand that and live the same way. So it's like, you'll find your people and you'll, you'll discard or leave aside what doesn't work. And, and it's just like this, as you shed down those layers within yourself, you resonate with different people and you'll, you know, find your tribe and everybody's life is different. Like part, part of it for me is like, my life is unconventional. I don't, I didn't live, you know, the path that my family and and culture, but it's so awesome because it feels really authentic to who I am. So it's like becoming safe. I always come back to inner safety, like upgrading our safety algorithm for what helps us feel safe and loved and, and um, letting that guide us, not what the, the society says we should do or other people say. I love that so much. And I'm, I'm curious as you have gotten more and more safe with yourself and connected to who you actually are beyond who you are supposed to be for mother and then for society, 
what are the like most favorite qualities about yourself that you've uncovered that like you would never go back because you've discovered now? Oh, that's a really fun question. I think one of the qualities that I love so much about myself is that I lean, I've developed a lot of resilience to lean into the places that feel uncomfortable. Um, and, and the willingness to do that has been like a North star, um, that has helped me kind of walk my own path and feel supported at the same time. Um, so I think leaning into the, the, the discomfort has been a really powerful skill that I've gained and it's helped me create a lot of spiritual growth and, and, and deep friendships and, um, and, and knowledge that I can bring and help and contribute. Like I go deep and I think um, a lot of the family, you know, and the culture of course wants us to be surfacey. So it's, um, it's a powerful time because there's so much to discover, you know, you had mentioned something about our relationship with the, the Gaia global mother wound. And I'm just curious for you to say more about that because you had, in my mind, we have a very insecure attachment with the earth. We've been, I mean, in Western society, we're not, we're not connected to her. Yeah. And I'm curious if there are parallels for you in reconnecting to earth. And you said spirituality in your mother wound. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm at now with it, like what I've been thinking about lately is just that attachment. It all comes down to attachment and everything, 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 everything. Um, and I think as society, as we, as we actually come to terms with that, we might need to create more suffering in order to get there to really see how important this is. Um, but the more I've healed and shed, you know, gotten to the core of where I'm at, like, still going deeper myself, um, what we see out there, what I see out there becomes more friendly and benevolent and more connected. Um, the more that I shed, you know, the malevolence of my trauma. Um, so it's, it's like that connection with earth, with the earth, with nature, with animals, with all the beings that are with us on this planet, it becomes a possibility when we've acknowledged starting working through the defenses against it because when we're traumatized as little ones we as to survive we have to build these walls right just to survive and that's a self-protective creative act like it helps us survive but it blocks out those connections with love with the earth with other people so at a certain point i think it's a blessing that many of us are conscious enough to start to deconstruct the walls and these walls are actually, they're, I'm talking about them like walls, but they're actually pathways in our brain, right? So there's like neurocircuitry that's happening when we're triggered, where we see threat. We see threat, like, you know, someone could abandon me or someone could reject me. It feels life or death. Our nervous system and our brain are replaying those old neurocircuitry patterns. But with healing, with regulation, with therapy, with these tools, we can start to dissolve, you know create new, I'll keep it in the brain context, like new pathways can be created in our brain. And when that new pathways get created, we can see like reality, like on this basic level so differently. Um, so I think my hope, my dream would be that we can start to create a society that's built around secure attachment, that everything is set up to honor women and children, put them in the middle of everything so that humans 
don't have to deconstruct these walls and live out of traumatic projections, which is what we do. You know, everything we do that's creating suffering and violence and stuff. It's just suffering people living out the brain chemistry of their early childhood. So um, in the past, people would say, oh, you're blaming the mother. But actually, it's so funny because what this is about is honoring the mother, putting the mother at the, at the very center with the child um, as a place of honoring, not blaming. Yeah. So that's, that's my hope and wish. And I think that's, that's really how it works is our attachment wounds um, cause us to see pain and fear that we went through. And so we just need more loving environments to create a society where we can work through this stuff without shame. Uh, and that's part of my mission too, is to just kind of take the shame out of all of this. Like we all have a piece of a wound, like a collective human wound around attachment, not getting enough love, safety, and belonging when we needed it. Um, and it's, there's no shame in that. We all have it. And our, as parents, I know some people might be parents listening to your show. There's nothing to be ashamed of that you passed it on. It's like you were just doing the best you could at the time. And it's not about being perfect, but it's about, because that's impossible. It's just about being on the path. If I'm hearing you in the way that I think that I'm hearing you, the idea of Heather and children in the center of society is a way of protecting that early development and making sure that bond is secure, making sure the chemistry is secure, making sure mother has what she needs to care for the child. And therefore the child grows up to feel a lot more secure in the world. Yes. Like if that bond is set up properly where, where it can, you know, be secure for the child or secure as possible, you know, um, they're going to go on to be well-adjusted and feel self to feel safe inside. Like those of us who didn't get that, we have to create that safety now as adults. And that's hard. The harder you, the older you are, the harder it is to change these brain pathways. So, um, if we can start early, then these we're going to have generations of people that are not going to create destruction and suffering around the world. And they're not going to need to heal from a childhood um, that, that was traumatizing, you know? So we're living in a time yeah. where we're, you know, Something, humans. Have, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, I think we're starting to see now more than ever in human history, how much this all matters. You know, I think for so many generations, people are just like, oh, let the baby cry it out. Or it doesn't matter what, you know, just do food, shelter, and clothing, and emotions don't matter. You're like, that wasn't very long ago. Um, But the science is telling us now how primary emotional um, attachment is in a child's inner life. Um, And and we have people teaching respectful parenting and conscious parenting. Like I follow so many parenting, um, cutting edge kind of parenting blogs and stuff because it's really fascinating, the new stuff that's coming out. So it's exciting now to be alive because I think we have more knowledge and wisdom than we've ever had. And I think we're in a position where we can affect change, maybe not right now in this generation, but in the generations to come. I love that. And I mean, the science is backing up attachment theory in such a beautiful way that this isn't woo-woo in the way that 20 years ago people thought it was. The the neuroscience and the nervous system science is really showing how important attachment is. Mm -hmm. And something that I was going to say earlier was just really admiration because I think I've heard a lot of people talk about the mother wound from people who had very idyllic childhoods who just like, you know, confronted and set some boundaries and then everything was better. (laughs) And 
you know, and that's not a lot of people's situation. And so hearing that you have been over the course of the years of therapy and healing, been able to find a secure attachment within yourself, even though you're not in contact with your mother and that, that relationship maybe didn't turn out the way that you hoped as of now, but you still have the inner liberation. I personally find extremely hopeful. Yeah, it is hopeful. It, and I, I want to be honest with people. It's a lot of work. This isn't something we can do alone. It's not something, you know, it's long-term, private, unglamorous, messy work. Um, and it's it's doable. It's possible. And it's I don't think there's anything more important um, because this is about our legacy and what we leave behind. When we die, it doesn't matter how much money or accomplishments or achievements in the world we have. It's like, what kind of love did we leave behind? What's our legacy? Did we perpetuate the pain or did we make efforts to, to stop the suffering? And I think this is the legacy that is the most majestic, noble, because it is so deep and it's so not easy, you know, and it, it's what really clears the way in a true way. It's not like just setting a boundary and it's over. Like, you know, I had an extreme mother wound where it was like disorganized attachment, where it's like the mother is longed for, but she's also dangerous. You know, we have to face some shadows about motherhood, but in doing that, we actually discover the real humanity of women. Um, like women, like I think about my grandmother when she was alive as a young mother, you could be a nurse, a, a teacher, or a mother, a stay-at-home mom. There weren't many options. And women were in the home, stuck with children, doing all this work, like under enormous circumstances like today, but you couldn't talk about anything, you know, so domestic violence, family violence, abuse, nobody talked about any of it. So the home was this incubator of pain and women had no resources really to to deal with it, to talk about it. They just suffered through it. And, um, we need to hear more women's stories. I think part of what we need to do is get real about abuse and things that happen between mothers and daughters, not to blame mothers at all, but to really, in a sense, honor the humanity and the struggles that women have gone through that have been horrific. Um, like I was just seeing recently that there was a, oh, I won't go on that tangent, but um, I think we're starting to see people who our perpetrators, they have been through enormous trauma. Um, like there was a woman on death row who was, uh, there was the death penalty. And I was reading her story and I was really fascinated by like, people are starting to have compassion finally for women and what they've been through, that their acts of violence come from the most horrific circumstances. And as society, we need to get real about the suffering women go through because it only just gets perpetuated. So I feel like we need more women's stories too. I so agree. Someone on the podcast, a couple podcasts ago, Kai Ching, she shared that no one comes by harm a perpetrator. And I just think that is an amazing thing to be remembering right now as we're in so much civil unrest as well, Mm -hmm. is that there's generations and generations of trauma just masquerading in the world as like people's lives and jobs and the way that they're relating to one another. So I'm just really thankful that you said that. And oh goodness, it brings so much compassion for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I would much. love to do some rapid fire with you. Oh, sure. 
So kind of switching gears from Mm -hmm. (laughs) the trauma of the world to just some fun facts about you personally. And I know also this is your passion, so it's probably super easy for you to go there. But I'm curious, what's your spiritual background? Yeah. When I was a little girl, um, my family was Catholic, but not like super Catholic. But I became extremely obsessed from a young age with the Virgin Mary. So I had an altar in my room. I would pray the rosary every single day. I would pray that she would appear to me. Um, She was basically my surrogate mom from a young age. And then as I got older, I got into, you know, in college, I got into meditation and, um, um, you know, yeah, meditation, non-duality. So I think my, my now, what my spiritual life is like now is, wow, I've never had to describe this. It's definitely evolved. Um, I do meditate regularly and I have much more faith in the sense that everything that's happening um, is guided and is, is, is looked after. And um, as, as, a, as a woman who was like raised to be a little adult, it's a really beautiful process spiritually for me to just really surrender. Like my life is about surrender. Yeah, I relate so deeply with that. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) The next question is, how do you know when you know? I would say the body. The The body always tells the truth. So if my mind is like vacillating or not sure, my body will, I can tap into my body and get a really strong, clear answer. What identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the biggest one is the good girl, good girl and a striver. So in the past external achievement was like meant success or something to me that it meant I was safe, but that's no longer the case. Um, And that's been a very beautiful one to let go of because it was so exhausting. (laughs) Um, So I'd say, yeah, good Mm -hmm. girl, striver, achiever, um, emotional caretaker is another one. Um, I'm kind of in this beautiful space in my life now where I feel this enormous spaciousness, like it's very uncluttered. Um, so I'm able to go so deep and in, in my life and I feel like I'm, I'm shedding down, um, to ever deeper layers. So it feels amazing to, to shed those, mm. but it's like, we, I've had to see the futility and the illusory nature of them to, to let them go that I don't need them anymore. They were kind of just appendages. I almost see those identities like scaffolding on a building, you know, this building is getting built and the scaffolding is there. And it's like all these identities were just little kind of artificial manufactured temporary ways of feeling safe. But as my foundation, my building is, is becoming really strong. I can let go of that scaffolding and just rest in that kind of sovereign structure of who I am now. Mm, That's beautiful. What are you most enjoying learning right now? Learning to play, I think, is is my thing right now. As a as a child who had to grow up very fast and um, have a lot of responsibility, and like I said, be an achiever. Now I'm like in this place of learning to play and and really be spontaneous and less serious, and so that's kind of my growing edge right now. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> The next question is, what does grace mean to you? I've been thinking about that word lately. And I think for me, I'm learning that 
this feels like a radical idea, but I'm learning that grace is what is like grace is ever present. Even when appearances seem like it's not that grace, everything is. And I've had moments where really like, like an aperture opens and I can feel everything is saturated in grace. And I want to live more from that place of um, perceiving being in such a clear space that I can perceive that grace is ever present. That's so resonant for me. I'm just like a big fuck. Yes. For that answer. <laughs> Gorgeous. Um, the, the next question is not so deep unless it is, I don't know what's your coffee shop order. I love this question because I'm such a coffee freak. I'm obsessed with coffee. Like every morning I'm so happy to drink coffee. It never gets old. I don't know why. Um, but like when I'm at home, I just drink coffee. Like I love a French roast, lots of half and half. But when I go to a coffee shop, I actually always get a cappuccino. And in the summer I would get an, an iced cappuccino. Double shot. Yum. <laughs> Last question is, what do you want? Uh, I'm going to be bold and say that I want what I have right now, that it feels like I feel so much gratitude for what I have and where I am. Thanks for asking that. You're welcome. It was so fun to be in conversation with you. Is there anything we didn't talk about today that feels important. I know people buy your book, which I'll link in the show notes. They can just click it and buy it and read it. It's in my cart right now on bookshop. I'm like so excited to dive into it. But is there anything else that's not covered in the book that maybe you want to say to the community? Um, God, I feel so complete right now, but I would say I would just encourage women to go for this. If they're feeling a little bit of apprehension about the mother piece, that that's like almost a little signal that there's some really good nugget in here for you. Um, if they're feeling any of the apprehension, I know that I felt in the beginning of my path. I know you probably have advanced people in your community, but um, yeah, I would just encourage people to check this out. The mother wound work. Thank you for tuning in to everything belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. And before you go, I want to tell you about Everything Belongs, the membership. For only $17 a month, join my monthly workshop gatherings that will serve as a playground and sacred circle to learn and explore a spirited life fully expressed in your worth, wholeness, and power. Members will have the opportunity to vote on podcast guests, pick workshop topics, send in questions to be answered live on the call, get a monthly journaling PDF and members only access to all of my coaching programs. If you're looking for a place to ground, gather, play, and explore all of the conversations shared here on everything belongs, then this is a space for you. For more information, go to madisonmorgan.com backslash membership. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.